Greetings, my little piggies. Welcome to episode number Who Gives a Shit of the Valley Boys. I am your host, Dave Weasel. Let's get this over with. So, you've been gracious with the uh, reviews. We switched platforms and the ratings and reviews have disappeared, but they're getting back up there right now because I've been begging for them at the beginning of these new episodes. Please give us a five-star rating if you like it or a one-star rating if you hate it on Apple, Spotify, MySpace, Grinder, whatever. If you know anybody else that might like this bullshit, uh, get them involved. We could always use some new people on the receipt of dumpster pigs. Anyways, let's get going. So this week, I was back in San Francisco for about five minutes. You know, the Golden Gate Bridge, the American landmark, right? It's a symbol of uh, architectural brilliance. You know, and that's what I thought until I made the absolutely asinine decision to meet there at the visitor center. You know? Now, on paper, that sounds like a delightful idea, doesn't it? A picturesque rendezvous with the uh, with the Pacific Ocean in the background, the misty San Francisco air. My daughter would love it. You know, you can practically hear Tony Bennett singing that song. But let me tell you, it's a trap. It's a well-decorated tourist field trap. So I pull up in the area, and already it's like I've entered the seventh circle of parking hell. You know, I'm doing laps around the lot like I'm training for the Indy 500, but the prize isn't a trophy. It's just a little patch of asphalt to park your car. And after what feels like an eternity, I finally find a spot. Great. But then I realize I'm about as close to the visitor center as France is to California. So I start the pilgrimage. You know, dodging families, taking selfies where they're all inexplicably jumping up in the air for some reason. And the street vendors, you know, they're selling these miniature Golden Gate bridges made out of, I don't know, it could be anything. Hardened dog shit for all I know. You know the Wonderlick test that they give the, the quarterbacks, you know, it's like an IQ test. Um, if asking where to meet in San Francisco was on that test for a prospect on the 49ers and he suggests the visitor center at the Golden Gate Bridge, it's an automatic disqualification. He'll have to go play for Winnipeg in the Canadian Football League. But it's always like that in San Francisco. Driving anywhere, it's like playing a video game that hates you. You know, you remember uh, Mario Kart? It's like that, but instead of throwing bananas and turtle shells... Uh, it's just the game flips you off uh, every every three seconds. You know, there's somebody in there flipping you the bark. And the hills? My God, they're not even hills. They're just cliffs pretending to be roads. You're driving up and it's so steep that you can't see what's in front of you. It's like your car is staring up at the sky asking the universe, why are you doing this to me? You know, and you crest the hill and suddenly it's a straight drop down. It's not a car anymore. It's a roller coaster. You don't even get a photo at the end. You know, you're just gripping the steering wheel and your brakes are smoking like a like a jazz musician in a 50s club and you're thinking, is this it? Is this how I die? The roads don't make any sense. It's like whoever designed that city spilled water all over the blueprints and went like, ah, screw it, it'll be fine. You know, you're making left turns that feel like right turns. You're going in circles and every so often some trolley comes by and, uh, and it's like he's laughing at you, you know? Ding, ding, you're lost, you idiot. That's what it feels like. And the parking there, it's, it's, it's like that at the visitor center everywhere. You know, you're on a hill so steep, you're practically vertical, and they expect you to parallel park that way, okay? Have you ever tried parallel parking on a wall? Because that's what it's like. You better get it right, because if you mess up, your car's not just going to get a ticket, it's going to roll down into the Pacific Ocean. And the pedestrians, they're their own brand of insane, you know? It's like they're playing a game of, uh, who can give the driver a heart attack first, you know? It's like they got cheat codes on Grand Theft Auto for immortality, the way they just jump into the street, you know, if you're wondering if you're going the right way, forget it. It's all one-way streets. You can't, you, you want to make a simple turn? And the street's like, no, you can't do that. Go back to where you came from. They sound like Republicans, you know? It's a one-way street, and it's not in your favor. So what do you do, right? You, you think you could just pull out the GPS? And even your phone is like, man, I got nothing. You're on your own. So there you are, lost. Your car hates you. The city hates you. And you're paying like 20 bucks a minute for the privilege of being there. It's beautiful, they said. You'll love San Francisco, they said. Yeah, right. I actually do love it there. I love San Francisco, but the trick is to um, 
park at your hotel and leave it there and just Uber everywhere, you know? It's like San Francisco and the, and the 49ers. That's my team. We're back into football. I'm not going to get into that too much. But speaking of San Francisco, I saw the new Colin Kaepernick documentary movie thing they got, uh, Colin in Black and White. Now, I was genuinely excited to watch this film. I mean, Colin Kaepernick, he's the guy who took a knee and started the whole national conversation kind of, you know? It's a story begging to be told. It's like when you find out that they're making a biopic of Winston Churchill or, or Freddie Mercury, you think, ah, yeah, this is going to be meaningful, you know? But then I started watching it, and it was like it was like on The Office when Michael actually had a story everyone wanted to hear, but he dragged it on and on and on because he liked having the floor. It took him forever to get to the point. It's kind of like that. You know, I immediately realized that um, this was not going to be the masterful narrative I had anticipated. Instead, it was like a, like a lifetime Disney Channel movie, you know, it, uh, but it got rejected for being too unrealistic. And those movies already have, uh, you know, talking dogs and, and teenagers with secret pop star lives, so you know the bar's pretty low. Now, the writing in this, okay, it was a little heavy-handed. It's like they hired a, hired a blacksmith to etch the dialogue into stone tablets. Every line was, was, was just an, uh, like an explosive dump. It's like the audience couldn't possibly fathom the nuance of, of Colin Kaepernick's life unless it was um, spelled out like instructions for, uh, for key, Ikea furniture. And the acting, too, man. It's like they all graduated from uh, the school of overacting. The people were delivering lines with, uh, with, with such dramatic intensity, you'd think that they were announcing the cure for cancer. Um, which is weird because Nick Offerman was in it and uh, the woman from Weeds, you know what I'm talking about, um, Mary Louise Parker. They were good, but everyone else in it kind of stunk, including Colin himself. He was narrating it, uh, but it sounded like he was reading his lines off his hands and then, and then he'll just turn around and walk towards a blank wall. You know, it's all, it's all a little disheartening because the story itself, I believe, it, it's incredibly important and it deserves uh, the nuance and attention to detail, but... It was kind of a character, caricature, like a cartoonish rendering of um, what was so disconnected from the weightness of the real events. It's like if you ordered a gourmet meal and the chef brought you out a plate of chicken McNuggets, you know, uh, and not even sauce, just with ketchup. And he's like, bon appetit. And you want to say, like, look, I appreciate the effort, but you've fundamentally misunderstood why I'm here. You know, I want to be riveted. I want to be moved to, to walk away with the movie with a deeper understanding of a complex issue and a complex man. Instead... I walked away feeling like I just watched a high school drama club's performance of To Kill a Mockingbird, where, uh, where everyone's really trying their best, but Scout's wearing neon scrunchies, and Finch uh, can't even remember his lines. It's a crucial story. Deserved, it, it deserves a monumental film. And what we got was the cinematic equivalent of somebody burning the Thanksgiving turkey and serving it anyway. You know, as if nobody would, would even notice that it's both undercooked and underwhelming. But you know what? Just like a turkey, you know, I watched the whole thing. <laughs> Um, I hope they make an actual movie about him, like a real biopic, but maybe Colin himself kind of takes a step back from it. I don't know. Maybe I'm part of the problem. Uh, I was more entertained by watching my new cat chase her tail under the table. Yep, that's right. I got a new cat. And if you follow me on Instagram, at Dave Weasel, you know I got a new cat. A little black, a little black and white fuzzball. And her name is Penguin. Um, I got her from one of those no-kill shelters where they let all the cats roam free in the shelter with no cages or rules. You know, the sort where you, you walk in and you're immediately greeted by the United Nations of cats, okay? We're talking every size, every color, every disposition of a cat. Um, from the aloof aristocrats to the, to, the, to the hyperactive fur tornadoes. Now, let me clarify, you know, these no-kill shelters are wonderful. 
They're the uh, Switzerland of pet adoption. Peaceful, neutral, and overcrowded. My God, the smell, dude. The moment you walk in, you're hit by this wall of this feline fragrance that's so overpowering. It's like the cats collectively decided to punish humanity uh, for every time they've been ignored. And they were clearly signaling they wanted to be petted too, you know? Um, it's not just a, a, a regular bad smell. It's like a it's like an intricate blend of aromas, like a, like a cat-produced potpourri that says, you want a compassion? Here's the price, your nostrils. And I didn't, I didn't really last that long in there. Um, and it wasn't because of any cat allergies, you know. I felt like I was on a game show where the challenge was to find your new pet before your senses mutinied against you. You know, you're walking around tearing up. And it's not because you're touched by the, by the plight of these homeless animals. It's because your eyes are begging for mercy while your, ner- your nose is considering early retirement. So I finally spot this little black and white cat. She sees me. I look at her and we have this unspoken agreement, you know. It's like, all right, we need to get out of here. But there's one thing. Now that Penguin's home, living her best nine lives, you know, you might think, oh, okay, she'd be grateful. No, she still gives me that judgmental, you took too long in that stink dome look. As if I'm the one who subjected her to that, to that stink assault. But you know what? I'll still post pictures of her looking all adorable and regal. And nobody on Instagram will ever know that behind that picturesque feline is a backstory that smells like it should be locked in a biohazard container. So, she's not just any regular cat, you know? She's like uh, the avant-garde of the cat world. She has these legs that are stumpy like a munchkin cat, you know? And she kind of walks sideways like a wiener dog. Um, If Salvador Dali painted cats, uh, she would be his muse. But here's the problem. Uh, She's got major butt drama. There's no other way to say it. She's got butt drama. She's been farting her ass off ever since I got her. She stunk up the car on the way home like she was auditioning for a role uh, as Pepe Le Pew. Okay? And at first I thought, oh, this must be... um, you know, the stench from the shelter. But no, no, dude, turns out she's got a parasite. Because of course she does. She's been living in a room with literally 100 other cats for the last year and a half. You know, it's like sending your kid to daycare and being surprised to come back with a cold. So whatever, we got her some medication. And I'm thinking, all right, this will solve the issue. No, because for the first couple of days, she turned the home into a stage for what I can only describe as a fart and shark contest in a barn. You know? She's got this tornado of diarrhea and farts like you wouldn't believe. Have you ever smelled a cat fart? It's like they've condensed the essence of disappointment and rotting meat into a single silent cloud of despair. I thought I had adopted a cat. What I got was a furry gas chamber. I seriously questioned my life choices. I was like, did we accidentally adopt a German shepherd with with gasp issues and shrunk it down into a like like a honey I shrunk the kid scenario? Because no small animal should be capable of such large odors. And yet here we are. It's like living in a tiny four-legged factory for, for not, like, nauseous fumes, you know? And you can't buy that sort of entertainment, but you can adopt it from a no-kill shelter. And you know what? I still post pictures of her on Instagram because she's adorable and she's mine. But no one will ever know that behind those cute eyes and stumpy legs is a creature that could possibly be classified as a biological weapon, you know? It's the, it's the joys of pet ownership. So... You've been considering the cold turkey approach for a change of pace in your habits, huh? That's a bit like thinking you could become a professional chef just by watching a cooking show. You're uh, skipping a couple important steps there. Now, we're not here to peddle some bizarre wisdom like replacing your afternoon snack with staring at a picture of a carrot. No, we're chatting today about a refreshingly different angle on habits courtesy of Fume. 
Fume's got an interesting perspective. They think maybe, just maybe, not everything about a habit you're trying to replace is going to be terrible. Instead of turning your life into an episode of Extreme Makeover Habit Edition, why don't we focus on changing the aspects that could use a little tweak? Fume offers a novel approach to doing just that. It's a groundbreaking device made without electronics. No vapors here, just flavored air. Flavors concocted with an all-natural twist, mind you. It's like replacing your bad habit with something that's not only good, but downright enjoyable. Now, when I first tried using Fume, my expectations were tempered. I was cautiously optimistic. It's like when you go to a party where you only know one person, but that person's really fun. And I was genuinely surprised. The taste? Far more flavorful than I anticipated. It was like biting into a perfectly ripe fruit. The texture and feel, it was well-weighted and balanced. Imagine holding a perfectly crafted writing pen. It's got adjustable airflow, movable parts, and magnets. So your fingers got something to do, which is surprisingly calming. And let's not bypass the aesthetics. The real wood, the graceful design, it's like carrying a piece of modern art in your pocket. It's important to note that not everybody's journey with creating positive habits, is you know, it's going to vary. But if you're looking for a supportive companion along the way, Fume is definitely worth a glance. So the next time you're pondering a habit change, why not give Fume a whirl? It just might be the flavorful, tactile, and eye-pleasing twist you've been looking for. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to Fume is easy, enjoyable, and even fun. Fume has served over 100,000 customers and has thousands of success stories. So there's no reason that can't be you. Join Fume in accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the journey pack today. Head to tryfume.com and use code VALLEYBOYS to save 10% off when you get the journey pack today. That's tryfume.com and use code VALLEYBOYS to save an additional 10% off your order today. Seven months without the NFL? It's like a sitcom without a laugh track. Something's missing. But fear not, the football drought has ended and DraftKings Sportsbook is here to usher us back into the good times. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a can't-miss offer for week one. This week, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just 5 bucks on any NFL game. So, DraftKings is essentially the Santa Claus of game day. They're just doling out the joy left and right. Seriously, everyone, and I mean it doesn't matter if you've been naughty or nice in your sports predictions, everyone gets a slice of this game day pie. They've got not one, but two offers, count them, two for every single game day this September. It's like finding a $20 bill in every pocket of a jacket you haven't worn since last winter. Just whip out the app and see what treats await you. Ah, it's a good time to be alive and gaming. Download now and use code VALLEYBOYS to sign up. New customers can take home $200 in bonus bets instantly just for betting 5 bucks. That's code VALLEYBOYS. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See dkng.co slash football for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. 
So I went to Petco to get uh, to get a bottle of that stink spray they got for a cat, you know? And like this cat that's auditioning for a skunk documentary. And you'd think it's a simple transaction, right? No. You walk up to the counter and it turns into this riddle session straight out of the Lord of the Rings. The cashier turns into the bridge keeper of death from Monty Python, and, and Monty Python, you know? And she hits you with this, do you have a phone number with us? It's like, no, Gandalf, I don't. I just want to buy this one thing and move on with my life. But that's not where it stops. She goes, would you like to sign up for our rewards program? And it's like, listen, I'm not trying to commit to a long-term relationship here. I just want my cat to stop smelling like she's storing nuclear waste in her butt, her broken butt. So, no, I don't want to sign up. You know, I don't want my inbox filled with daily reminders that I could be saving 5% on hamster bedding or, or bird feeders. So you think we're done, right? But then there's one more. Answer me these questions three, you know? Would you like to donate to our charity foundation? Ah, okay. The charity that you're using for your own tax breaks, masquerading as altruism. It's like they've turned the simple act of buying a $10 bottle of stink spray into this ethical dilemma that's one step away from a philosophy seminar. No, Socrates, I don't want to donate. I want to complete this purchase without having to question the moral fabric of my existence. It's like walking into a store and accidentally stepping into an episode of uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, except Regis is now a 17-year-old girl who doesn't understand that neither one of us really want to be there. You know, she's just saying, uh, will you ever escape this labyrinth of incessant questioning? You know, and you want to say, but let my people go. But your people is just you and your bottle of stink spray held hostage by this point-of-sale system that apparently requires a background check and a, and a secret handshake. You know, maybe a blood sample. We're going to ask you to co-sign a mortgage. All for some stink spray for my cat's diseased butt. <laughs> All right, enough of that. Um, what else? Oh, um, I did have to give my phone number to Color Me Mine. Okay, you know that place? I took my five-year-old daughter there this week. Color Me Mine is the temple of toddler dreams and parental regret. Okay, have you ever been to this place? It's a pottery, it's a pottery painting wonderland there, you know? For the low, low price of a $12 table fee, they allow you the privilege of spending two hours decorating a $1 mini figurine they charge you $40 for that will inevitably look like it was painted during an earthquake, okay? So you're paying to have the opportunity to pay more. It's like buying a ticket to a casino, you know? And I'm there with my little girl, and when we were checking in, they asked for uh, my phone number, and I thought, sure, why not? Because, naively, I assumed it would be a same-day operation. You paint the thing, they cook it in whatever magical pottery oven they have in the back, and you take it home. But of course, that's not how it works. Uh, they tell you after the after the art massacre that has occurred um, that it actually takes up to five days to cook your creation. Five business days, that is. Now, in adult time, that's a week. But in five-year-old time, that's roughly the equivalent of three eternities and one millennium. You know, my daughter will have gone through several life phases in that five business days. She'll be into dinosaurs and princesses and suddenly develop a keen interest in tax law. And then circle back to asking me why the sky is blue for the third time in one day. You know, she's not going to remember that she painted a $40 mini mermaid that looked like Ariel had a rough night. By the time that mermaid is ready, my daughter will have moved on to something else entirely. You know, and I'll still be committed to picking up this ceramic reminder of my flawed parenting choices. <laughs> and the kicker, man, is I have to retrieve it within 30 business days, or else I assume it goes into the Color Me Mind Hall of Forgotten Art, next to all the other misshapen mugs and half-painted unicorns. So yeah, they give you a month. They give me one month to revisit my lapse in judgment. So if I ever find myself in Santa Ana again within the next 30 business days, for whatever godforsaken reason, at least I know I've got a rendezvous with a poorly painted mermaid and a dragon waiting for me. 
But, you know, it's funny how fast time moves when you're a kid that age, you know? She's five and a half, which to her makes her much older than someone turning five today. And adults kind of do that, too, with our timing, except it's kind of the opposite. We start using this ambiguous language around age, like uh, early 30s, mid 30s, late 30s, whatever. I'm turning 39 this month, which is technically the age which society allows you to say you're in your late 30s without facing perjury charges. And some people like to cling to that age like it's the raft of the Titanic. As if the moment uh, they turn 40, Celine Dion starts singing and their youth sinks into the abyss. But here's what I don't get. We live in the concept of early, mid, and late in relation to decades, but it's as undefined as a plot of a David Lynch movie. Okay, If we're being exact here, mid should be the first three years, or sorry, early should be the first three years and four months of the decade. You know? We got to bring math into this. So, for example, take it this decade, the 20s. We're in September of 2023 now. The mid-20s of this decade started in April, okay? Three years and four months. It's the same, the same principle applies to your age. You're not in your late 30s until you're 36 and eight months. Doesn't sound that old, but that's where it is, you know? When you scale the ladder and you reach the last rung of your third decade on this earth, it's once you're 36 years old and eight months in. Mind-boggling, huh? But then suddenly everyone becomes a math denier when it comes to how they quantify their age. You know, we have this nonsensical emotion accounting for, uh, for, for time that only works when we're discussing our age or perhaps how long you've been waiting at the DMV. Um, but it's kind of weird how we can, wrap, we can, we can, we can warp time and, and, and space not just to face the reality, but it's, it's to justify us getting older. You know, turning 39, kind of an odd experience. It's like standing on the edge of a cliff called 40, and everyone expects you to be terrified of the fall. But honestly, I'm just enjoying the show. Growing older is a luxury, you know? We've all known way too many people who didn't get to grow old. Everybody acts like turning 40 is the equivalent of your life getting canceled by the network, but in reality, it's just another season renewal, and the plot only gets thicker. Or at least your waistline does. It's like everyone forgets that um, time, time is actually the most exclusive VIP club you could be a part of you know there's no cover charge no dress code but not everybody gets in that's the thing people would kill for more time quite literally if you look at history you know so why are we acting like each birthday after 30 is another nail in the coffin you know if that were true by 39 i'd be a deck at home depot but you know what you know what you know what you call somebody who complains about getting older alive okay it's like you're alive buddy You've beaten the most existential game on the planet, the survival lottery. You've outlasted Blockbuster and MySpace and probably your youthful metabolism. But you're still here, ready for another round. It's weird when people complain about gray hairs or feeling tired or this stupid saying, I can't drink like I used to. Dude, that's good. You know, that's probably why you're still here and you have a chance to grow old. There's nothing more pathetic than a 40-year-old trying to do a keg stand like a, like a walrus trying out gymnastics. I think that is one of the stages of alcoholism, being the creepy 40-year-old at the party. You know, that's a classic figure. It's like a, like a Yeti or a Sasquatch, often talked about but rarely seen up close. But when you do see one, it's a spectacle, all right? You're at this party. Everyone's in their, in their 20s, maybe 30. And there he is, a lone 40-year-old guy lurking in the corner like he's doing some undercover research for Megan's Law. And you know, this is just one of the stages of alcoholism that nobody talks about. It's not in the pamphlets. It's not in the cautionary school assemblies. This guy, this guy transcended the need uh, for warning signs, okay? You look at him and you're like, ah, yes, stage seven alcoholism, becoming the ghost of parties past. 
You know, half of you listening right now are still in that stage of life where um, this beer belly creature could be found in his natural habitat. Your friend's cramped apartment that smells vaguely like stale beer and bad choices. And you look at this guy and you think, is this a cautionary tale? Is he a time traveler who came back to warn us? But then he opens another beer. You know, he misses the high five and you realize, oh, no. He's just working his way through the unspoken stages of alcoholism. One awkward party at a time. And that's in line with another real sign of alcoholism in those pamphlets. Um, how do they phrase that? It's like, do you, do you need to drink more than before to get the same effect? Hmm. What are we measuring here? Are we talking about shot-for-shot comparison with my 21-year-old self? Because I don't want to be that guy again. That guy thought it was a good idea to mix tequila and philosophy. I don't need the same effect if the effect is existential crisis with a hint of lime. The warning signs of alcoholism. They're fascinating because they're framed in such a way that anyone reading them would say, oh, wow, that's me. You know, like reading a horoscope. It's like, you're a Taurus, so you're, uh, you, you value stability, but you could be stubborn. <laughs> that's everybody. You know, it's just like every alcohol warning sign. Do you drink to escape stress? Well, I mean, doesn't everybody? I mean, I'm not sipping a Crown Royal because I've just solved world hunger. Hunger. Hunger, too. And I love how specific yet vague they are. You know, it's kind of a paradox. It's like, do you drink alone? Well, what constitutes is alone, you know? If I'm drinking but I'm texting someone, is that alone? Or if I'm sipping whiskey while petting my new cat, does that count as company? Is she enabling me? Should I get paranoid? Like, I think the cat's starting to stage an intervention. But the most absurd one has to be, do you forget things you did while drinking? Like, are we talking on, about a like, a like a full-on plot to a movie type amnesia or just forgetting where I left my keys? Because one of those sounds like the basis for a mystery th- thriller and the other just sounds like 3 p.m. of every day for me. And they always present these signs like a, like a, like a dire quiz where every answer is wrong. You know, if you tick off more than three, you have to go directly to rehab. Let's be clear here. You know, if answering yes to three questions on a list automatically qualifies you for rehab, then based on my WebMD search history, I'm a prime candidate for multiple organ transplants. You know, it's like I love a good whiskey, but maybe, just maybe we should stop treating alcohol warning signs like a choose-your-own-adventure book where every ending is a disaster. Really, the number one sign of alcoholism, and this is getting super specific, is if you know whether or not you could take pills with hard liquor. And I don't mean if you could drink well on specific medications. I mean you wash the pills down with booze. Because number one, if you're doing that, you probably got a problem. And number two, you do it so much that you know it could be done, maybe you should cut back. Hey, whatever. You know what? Have a drink if you want one, but just don't go overboard with it. All right. I got locked out of my iPhone. Someone tried fucking around with the password, I guess, and now it won't start up again. So I had to do that restart thing. You know, you plug it into the computer and you follow the steps and it erases it. But it still says iPhone available. Try again in 21 minutes. So if you're trying to get a hold of me, don't text me because I'm not going to get it. Uh, Contact me via the reviews (laughs) or send a smoke signal, I guess. I don't know. Make sure you follow us online at Valley Boys Pod on Twitter, at Valley Boys Podcast on Instagram and TikTok now for some reason. Uh, I'm at Dave Weasel on everything. Didn't buy my blue check mark. Obviously, I got to point that out every time. From Orange County, California, good night. <laughs>